Welcome, everyone. Welcome to everyone at home who's watching this morning. We are sad that you can't be here, but we, even though we can't share this space, we are intent on sharing this moment. And so I hope that you've set aside some elements for communion later on. And I just want to give a very special warm welcome to all the kids watching today. I hope that you enjoy some of the activities that were put together for you earlier in the week. Um, also, I'd like to encourage you, those of you watching at home, to invite somebody. Um, we will probably be in this space for a while. We don't know how long this is going to last. And people need hope right now. They need the assurance of the gospel. And so take a moment and invite your friends. Are there people you know who aren't a part of a community online? Let's bring them in. And I want to encourage you to get your Bible out this morning because we are continuing our series on the wounded healer. Um, this week will be in Acts chapter 10, and we've seen some themes come up continually, and Pastor Nate has talked about this as he's preached, but that when we, um, when we follow Christ, there will be suffering, right? But also when we follow Christ, there is the transformation of lives, those who are following Christ, and then people begin to join them. So following Christ is not all pain and suffering. And I'm happy today that the account that we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 10, continuing to go through Acts, it's a bit of a pause from martyrdom and beating and the painful kind of suffering. We're going to take a break, just kind of a nice reprieve, I think. Um, this is a very exciting chapter where we see the beginning of a new level of explosive growth in God's church. And it's been pretty incredible up until this point in Acts, but it's about to go to a whole nother level. So you might want to take some notes. You are definitely going to want to open your Bible to Acts chapter 10. And this is the account of two men. It's Cornelius. He is a Roman officer. He's a Gentile. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, who we all know at this point, who, he's, a Jewish, he's a Jewish leader of the church, right? And each of them have a vision. God brings them together. And then what happens is some really cool things. The gospel is preached. There's some eating, which is always cool and enjoyable in my book. Um, and as I mentioned, it's the start of an explosive new wave of the growth of the church. So we're going to read some parts of chapter 10. I'm going to summarize some parts for you and note some key observations along the, the way. And what we're about to study together, I think it's interesting to note, takes some place around 7 to 10 years after the ascension of Jesus. So the gospel's already been spreading among the Jews in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It's been spreading. So our story begins, Acts chapter 10. We're going to go ahead and start at verse 1. The slides will have the scripture on it, or you can read along in your Bible. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generous, generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he'd had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? He asked. 
The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send me men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. So I want to unpack this just a little bit for you. God, so he was a centurion, which is sort of sometimes it's, it's translated captain. And it just meant that he was in charge of about 100 men. So you have a prominent leader, right? And God noticed his prayers and his generosity. And he's referred to as a God-fearer. And we see this some other places in scripture. But there is a contingent of Gentile people at this point in time that they sort of follow some of the Jewish, Jewish customs, not all of them. Like they wouldn't be circumcised, for example. Things like that, they do the best they can. They observe the Sabbath. They probably read scripture to some degree or listen to it. They're probably not reading it themselves at that point. But they're, they, they are following some of the customs, and they are termed as God-fears, but they are not converted because at this time there were no Gentile converts, okay? But they had some sense of who the God of the Jewish people were, and in some sense they were devout to him. And Cornelius is one of those people. And so, and we know from later on in this scripture that not only was God remembering Cornelius because of his, um, his devoutness to the Lord, that he instructs Cornelius to go get Peter and to bring them back and to receive a message from Peter. So there's something that this angel is saying to Cornelius. He's like, this guy, Peter, he's super important and you've got to hear what he has to say. So Cor sends his servants to travel to get Peter, and just before his servants arrive, this happens, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So let's pause here for a moment. So it would have been deeply ingrained in Peter to not eat the animals that were down on the sheet. Many of you are familiar that there was lots of rules about what could be eaten by Jewish people, who they could associate with. And Peter, being a good Jewish boy and being a Pharisee, he would have been very well versed in these rules and he would have followed them his whole life. There are just things you don't do, and right? And eating these animals were one of it. So God in this vision, again, because we saw this last week with Paul, right? He changed everything with Paul through his encounter and he is about to change things for Peter. Even Peter, who has been following him all these years, his eyes are beginning to open in a new way. And God is bringing about a massive cultural shift in his kingdom, in his church. I love that Jesus uses mealtime 
to communicate this massively important truth. This is not the first time he had done this. You kind of think, oh, it's just food, it's just eating, no big deal. But think about it. Some of our most meaningful conversations will happen with others over a meal. You sit down, you relax, you begin to chat, and there's just something powerful and meaningful about the exchange that happens when people gather around food. And God is taking Peter through this major cultural shift, and he starts with food. And think about it. Food is often sort of the gateway to understanding another culture, even another family. I've, I think about times when hospitality has been shown to me and how I understand that person or their family so much more. Um, I have to stop here and I think about Sarah Hornacek and going to her house, and she is like hospitality queen, right? She's got so much warmth and love in her home, and, and she prepares always an amazing spread, right? And so there's something about the dynamic, the culture of her family that I know her better through her hospitality, right? And I think about Tony and Linda Kirk, even through this pandemic, they've had like driveway meals, you know, that they have shared with their neighbors, even in this time, finding a way to extend hospitality through eating together, sort of, as much as possible, right? So even in this time, there's a way to do it. And I think about how important that is and how meaningful that is. And understanding people often does come around food. And even in other culture, when you travel to another place, you experience the culture first through the food. Uh, many of you know that my family and I, we lived in Ethiopia for a time. And the food is it's a very different experience there than what we have here. I want to tell you about it for a minute. So some of you have eaten at Queen Sheba with me down in Sacramento. It's very delicious. Anyway, so there's this bread. It's called injera, right? And it's more like a crepe. It's a spongy, delicious um, pancake of sorts. And it gets spread out on a big, round platter. And then all kinds of vegetables and sauces and lentils and meats go on top in sort of like stews. So it's all very, everything on the, the platter is very um, wet and mushy. But you take a piece of this injera, right, and you rip it off, and you use that as the vehicle to eat the food. Everyone eats off the same table. This is not a COVID-approved <laughs> dining experience at this point in time. So everyone sort of eats out there, and it's so hilarious when you first come to watch, you know, the Ferengis, as they call us, the foreigners, eat the sinjera. You know, if it's like a fork, you know, you want a fork? There's no fork. You're not getting a fork. It's like going to a vegan restaurant and being like, ordering liquid sided bacon. It's not happening, okay? There's no fork. You take your injera and you, you pick up some food. And the more experienced you are, the more you just, you know how to work it. You just dive in. Your hands are messy. It doesn't matter. And you kind of work this big sort of thing of injera and sauce into like this ball, it's this, this delicious ball of what looks like a ball of mush. Now, when you're American and you're new at it, you're sort of like just pinching it and going like this, right? But then by the time you get used to it, you're working it and you have this big old thing that you pop in your mouth, right? So it's a sight to behold. But the reason why I'm telling you this is that in Ethiopian culture, it is not uncommon at all to be in a restaurant and see grown adults 
not even romantically involved, feeding each other this ball of mush that they have been working for some time in their hands as just a genuine sign of friendship. This is warmth and love. So Peter's having one of these moments. He's having one of these, like, ooh, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to try that. That's different. That's strange. That's weird. He's having one of these moments. And God three times tells him, and he emphasizes, do not say ooh. Do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. You know, it's been said that um, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. This is not in the Bible, by the way, but (laughs) just thought I would sort of point that out. Um, It's funny how God uses his hunger, uses Peter's hunger to, and repetition to explain something that is so important. And as we're going to find out, and as you have probably already figured out, this doesn't really have much to do with what Peter is going to eat. And it has more to do with people. The culture shift has less to do with what Peter is going to eat and more to do with who Peter will eat with. So before Peter could chalk up this perplexing, odd vision to being hangry, Cornelius's men arrive, and God speaks to Peter about them and tells Peter to go with them. Sure, I'm just going to go with some Roman soldiers. I don't have any weird, uncomfortable experiences with Roman soldiers, but he does it. He follows the word of the Lord, and he goes with these soldiers, and he travels. And I can just, I just imagine, this part isn't in the Bible, but I just imagine him on the walk. It took him about a day to get there. I just imagine him processing himself. Well, Jesus did tell me that I was going to be a fisher of people. And he did command me three times. Again, I think Jesus speaks to Peter in threes very often. This isn't the only time it happens. He did command me after we ate breakfast that one morning to feed his sheep three times. So much eating with Jesus and Peter. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And now God is calling things clean that have been unclean Peter's whole life. And I can't help but imagine Peter starting to put it all together. He did say that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Is it time? Is it time to go to the ends of the earth? So Peter goes with the men. Right? And Cornelius is expecting them because he sent his people to go retrieve Peter. He's expecting them to come. What does he do? He invites all of his friends and family over to his place. Again, we see Cornelius' generosity in there. He's like, I'm about to hear something really good. I don't know what it is yet. I'm about to hear something really good, and I want all my family and I want all my friends to hear it with me. And as Peter entered the house... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. And this is important because when God expands his kingdom, the faithful give all glory to God. It would be so tempting to be seeing miracles and to have this tendency 
to sort of siphon off some of that glory for yourself, that would be a very human response, would it not? And they, the disciples over and over again, we see this with Paul. We saw it with Stephen when he was martyred. They give the glory to Jesus, and Peter does that here. So while, we're at verse 27 now. So while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering people. He said to them, you are all aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure and clean. He finally says it. This is about people, right? So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? This is Peter talking to Cornelius and his friends and family. So Cornelius recounts his vision to Peter, tells Peter, and he says this, It was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And you probably didn't do that. This is like a very, you know, Western female thing to do, I guess. But he was attentive. I mean, I love the expectation here. He's like, the Lord told me you have something good to say, and we are all here in God's presence. We want to hear what you have to say. The faith and the expectation here is beautiful. And when God expands his kingdom, this massive expanse that's happening, he uses humans to preach the gospel. Could not the angel have told him the story Could not the angel have communicated, maybe even better than Peter, the truth of the gospel? No, Jesus uses humans. He uses you. And may we have the energy and the the drive to learn to communicate this most precious gospel, which has changed the world. And then this is what Peter says. He says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Friends, when God expands his kingdom, there is room for everyone. Everyone. It is for everyone. That has been the plan since the beginning that all nations would be blessed through the Jewish people. That all nations would encounter Jesus And the gospel, that has always been the plan. And this sentence right here demonstrates a major shift in Peter's mentality. Because if God doesn't show favoritism, then neither should I. It is a very human thing for us to want to view ourselves a little bit better than other people. Or maybe a lot better than other people. We have our groups we know that we are so divided and we have all these little groups. You know, you have Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. I live in Rockland. I live in Lincoln. I live in Newcastle. I eat cheap. I eat organic. I, there's so many little different ways that sometimes we can separate ourselves, right, from other people. I'm rich. I'm poor. I'm somewhere in the middle. We have our ways of, of drawing distinctions in our mind. And there's a part of that that's fine. It's just a category. And then there's a part of that where sometimes if we're truly honest with ourselves, we are sort of elevating in our minds our station 
or we're looking who we can elevate our station from other people, right? And Peter would have had some very baked-in prejudice toward non-Jews. And even so much to the point that the realm of possibility for Gentiles to be converted was something he had not considered, even though Jesus had ascended about a decade ago. I mean, this is amazing. It took some time. It took time, and it was part of God's plan because he was building in Jerusalem. He was building the Jewish believers. And this is where it changed. Five, four, three, two, one, blast off. It was finally time. The gospel is for everyone else too. And this great shift is where Christianity becomes not just a sect for Jewish believers, but it becomes a worldwide multicultural movement. And it has been on the rise ever since. Amen. And Peter gives this message. This is the word that Cor and others, Cornelius, I call him Cor, because it's long to write out Cornelius. I know a Cornelius who we call Cor, and so at some point in my notes, it's just Cor. <laughs> but this is the message that Cor and the crew have been waiting for. And it is a beautiful synopsis of the gospel. And I pray as I read this that you will listen intently with your heart today. In verse 35, God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses to everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the gospel and testify that he was the one whom God appointed as a judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. When God expands his kingdom, the gospel takes center stage. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Not prejudice, not politics, not persecution, not famine, not plague. We are still experiencing these things in our life today. Not corruption. I mean, it's amazing. Just think about it. Why would any Gentile sign up for this? It's not like the Jews were having an easy time. And yet Christ is worthy. And his gospel is the power that saves us and forgives us. And this is why the Gentiles were cluing into it. And this is why it was so important that the message was not held back for Jews only, but that it went to the Gentiles. No power compares. 
No other love can hold a candle to this love that is bringing and will bring together a member of every tribe, nation, and people together to the same table for communion and togetherness and union with Christ. That unity, that oneness that we crave, it is only found in Christ. No one else can do that. This is the power of Christ. And this was the beginning for most of us, assuming most of us are not Jewish. Technical difficulties. I need to wear my hair back these days. I'm preaching. Back to Acts chapter 10. For, the, for most of us, this is the beginning of our spiritual heritage. A bunch of people who, wouldn't, who would not normally come together are coming together to follow Christ in the presence of Christ. May, may we respond to Christ. May we heed his gospel. May we yield our hearts to him. So after, well, while Peter is preaching... This most precious gospel, we need to be familiar with these words and be able to articulate them. While Peter is saying this, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles in the same way that it had fallen on them. And because of this, it was obvious that God was among them. And that they were being converted. So, of course, they were baptized. And then, of course, they ate together. Because that's what you do, right? And this was the start of a new experience for Christianity. Jews and Gentiles under the same roof, worshiping the same God, eating the same food. Rich and poor, young and old, men and women, Greek Slave, master, all of them together, worshiping God together. And I want to conclude by saying this. We need this most precious gospel to transform our lives. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just something that sort of happens maybe when you're young, like it did for me. But it is ongoing transformation that happens. Maybe you're like Cornelius, and you have some practices down. But notice Cornelius' prayers and generosity was not enough. He needed to be converted. He needed to be filled with the power of the Spirit. He needed to commit to follow Jesus. Cor had a transformation, right? But even Peter, the leader of the church, a witness to Christ, and a witness to his death and resurrection. There was still room for transformation in his heart too. The Holy Spirit was working in his life too. He didn't have it all figured out. He had a blind spot. And the Holy Spirit invited him to change and he responded to the Holy Spirit. Even a leader in the church. And he still there was room for transformation, and that is all of us, friends. God is still using the gospel to transform our lives. May we all be open to the work of the Holy Spirit and the transformational power of the gospel. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this most precious good news. Lord, we thank you that it is by the power of the Spirit, the power of your gospel, that lives are changed and transformed. Lord, mold us and shape us. Lord, help us to be like you in knowing that you do not show favoritism. But when we believe on you, there is forgiveness of sins. Lord, ignite in our hearts a passion for the expansion of your kingdom, for an expansion of the knowledge of the gospel. Use us as you did Peter to preach your good news. Lord, I pray for opportunity, God, that we would be able to communicate your gospel, share a meal and share a conversation focused and centered on you and what you have done and your goodness and the life that you give, God. Use us. I thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for being in our midst all across this region. In Jesus' name, amen.